Hi, this is Pastor Rick. Welcome to On Demand. Have you ever invested in something too long? Have you ever tried to do something for a long, long, long time and found out that it was a waste of time? What about 38 years? What about giving yourself to something that was wrong for 38 years because the people around you convinced you, because you believed in myths that were not true? This is what I call investment myths, and you don't want to miss it. This sermon can help you make some better choices. So stay there, enjoy it. I'll pray for you on the other side of it. May God bless you as you listen to a word that is truly life-changing. I've got a word for you that's really practical, really simple. It's about investments. I am a big believer in investments. I really am. I believe that good investments are important, but you know, sometimes as a Christian, we struggle with it. We have this, I don't know, prosperity guilt thing where we struggle with even talking about money or investing. And we normally think of investment as a money issue. And it, it is money sometimes. Sometimes in, you invest money and your goal is to grow a business. And that's a healthy attitude. But we struggle with that sometimes. Sometimes we have this, I don't know, I'm just doing it for Jesus. And that's not why you make investments. You make investments, uh, especially, for example, if you start a business to make money so that you can stay in business and, and hire people and grow and prosper and take care of your family. That's a smart investment. What you don't want to do is make investments that don't bring a return. You want to return on your investment, right? You want that, right? Return on your investments. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we're not honest about those things. And I really believe that sometimes religious people in particular, Christian people, religious people, have a hard time having that honest investment conversation with themselves. So let me just take you on a journey today into the life of a guy. He, for 38 years, made the wrong investment. In the book of John, we'll see it in chapter 5. And he really believed he was going in the right direction, but he was not. And the question is, are you going in the wrong direction? Are you right now making investments that are not wise? Now, in our first sermon, we talked about family investments, if you remember. Second sermon, we talked about personal investments, that you need to make some investments in yourself. And then the third sermon today, we're going to talk about mythical investments. The fact that you can make investments that are completely undro. It's mythical. It's all in your mind. You're just making it up. Even though you believe it's okay, but there is no real return on this investment. And this guy, for 38 years, is making an investment for religious reasons, with the assumption, by the way, that God is going to step in and do a miracle for him. And it's not promised. It's a miracle he heard about, something that was made up that isn't necessarily promised to him. And so I want you to look with me, if I can, and show you John chapter 5, verse 1. Listen to the story of this guy's life, and let me show you how this all fits. This is like so cool, you don't want to miss it. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish fest festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem... Near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One was there, watch this now, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him this incredible question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be better? Uh, you know, you just want to sometimes, sometimes you want to go, is that a real question? It was a real question. Now, out of all the people that were there, I want you to imagine this environment. For, to go someplace for 38 years and you are paralyzed, somebody has to carry you there. 
this is a this is like a family. Hey, hey, Barnabas. Hey, Nicodemus. I mean, everybody's everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's talking to everybody. Everybody's you know friends. You know, yeah, my my back's been hurting me, boy. I tell you what, my oh my, my leg this week. Last week it was a toe. You know, so there's this constant collaboration of people who are all in the same place. Now let me give you a little warning. Whenever you are around people who are broke or people who are sick, or people, there is a benefit in having somebody that, that can, um, I guess, relate to your challenge. And some people look for that. They want somebody that can relate to their challenge. The, the challenge, though, is if you're, not, if you're around people who are challenged like you, sometimes they never think beyond your condition. Let me say that again. If you're around people who are challenged the same way you are, you never think beyond your condition. So if you're around broke people, you never you just think, well, everybody's broke. This is how broke is. Broke is broke is broke. And I'm, I'm broke, you broke, we all broke. Hey, everybody's even. And you try to keep yourself around those kind of people. But what you need sometimes is somebody to come from outside and look at your condition and say, hmm, do you want to get out of this? Do you want to get out of this love cycle? Do you want to get out of this situation where you're always mad? Do you want to get out of this? Or are you content where you are? If you're if around people that don't exercise, you won't exercise. If you know, there's something about getting around people, and this could be a real thing, something you think about. Get around people who don't think like you. If you get around people who travel, you'll think about travel. You get around people who have a vision for God and a vision for ministry and a vision, you, you'll change. So all that is going on. This guy's in this new environment, and he's in a place called Bethesda, which means house of mercy. It's the place of the flowing water, they called it. And there was a, was a pool in Jerusalem. Now, and, and the remains of this pool exist today. You can, go, you can go to Israel and see it today. If you get the footnotes, uh, the notes to this sermon, in the footnotes, if you get the digital version, I have a little uh, place you can go in the footnotes and you can click on it and you can see it. It's incredible. I want you to think about this for a minute. You can just Google it. Some of you can Google it. It's really a good thing to see. First of all, how simple it was. And it was really just a little pool, a little private pool they made. And people were, were gathered. Imagine, they were gathered there for a long time. Now, what's really important is there are two of these. Now, sometimes you get confused. You know, I, I get confused all the time. I thought it was the pool of Siloam that was mentioned in John chapter 9. It's not that pool. That's the, when the lepers got healed and all that. That's not that pool. This is one that's in the north, northeast uh, Jerusalem, not the one that's in the south, southeast corner. So this particular location was a place that all these people gathered with one goal. We're going to get better. And it was a myth. Then there, was no, there was no promise. There was no promise at all. But this guy believed that if I stay here, I'll get better. Now, a myth is a fable that people accept. And it explains the world in a way. I, I made this note. So this is what I call a simple definition for a myth. It's a, a myth is a fable that is used to explain a worldview or some social or religious value. What is the worldview you have? What is the social value you have? That is just not true. It is something you think is true, but it's not true at all. There are two questions about the, the myth that many people believe that I want you to think about. Here's number one. What myth did you believe that was not true in your life? It was a social value you had, a religious conviction, but it was really a myth. I'm going to talk about some of mine in just a minute. Number two, 
What are you waiting on God to do that he never promised you to do? Never promised. I want to go back to the text. I want to look at verse 7, John chapter 5, verse 7. Listen to this conversation. Sir, this is what the guy tells Jesus. The invalid replied. Jesus asked him the question. Now, do you want to be made well, right? Now, watch, watch the myths he's going to reveal, okay? Something that he's, he, he has held on to, and it's a religious myth. It's, it's nothing that God ever told him, but it's something he really believes. The invalid replied, verse 7, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Okay, pause right there. So I, I have been sitting here for 38 years and waiting for the waters to be stirred. And when the waters are stirred, um, he goes on to say, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, pause right there. I've been sitting here for 38 years waiting for the waters to be stirred. And when the waters are stirred, see, they believe that you get healed if you got in the waters. And so he believed that I was sitting here for 38 years, but every time the waters get stirred up, somebody goes in front of me and blocks me so I never get healed. So I keep waiting for 38 years I've been doing this for me to have a chance to get in the pool and get better. Now, you just want to go, okay, what do you say? Jesus doesn't, by the way, if you'll notice in the text, I'm going to read it in a minute, never responds to this. He didn't say, man, that's not true. He, didn't, he just stepped over it. Some myths are so incredible, you just go, no comment. Here's what Jesus said to him. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up. Let's try something new. Get up. Let's try something that we've never done before. Let's get up. In the midst of this season, I believe that's what God's saying to the church. Get up. Watch this now. Pick up your bed and your mat and walk. Now, what's really amazing, the Bible said at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Amazing. This was the moment when this guy changes his life by responding to the word of God. Now, the word of God was spoken to him through Jesus, and he, he acted on it. And I just thought to myself, why did it take him so long? Well, first of all, Jesus hadn't come yet. Sometimes the opportunity hadn't showed up yet, the chance to change your life. But there, there are moments, and I believe we're in one. I believe we're in one right now where everything in your life can totally change. If you could hear a new word, listen to a new voice. He'd been around these people for 38 years who were all like him, all sick, all lame, all having trust challenges. And then this new voice came. The challenge is if you ignore the new voice. And, and I want to just point out four things that I think kept this guy in this condition. Four things. <laughs> four reasons this guy was here for 38 years. Number one, here we go. Someone told him this myth, and he believed it for 38 years. The, ver the first reason he stayed here this long is because someone told him. How many things have you been told that just weren't true? Someone told him. Who told you something that you found out wasn't true? Who had you believing in a myth? Now, I'll tell you something about church people. Woo, this is common. Well, you know, you can't tell them everything because they, they can't handle the, the weight of the truth. I, I, <laughs> oh, God help me. Woo, here we go. Here we go. We've been tell, told for a long time, and I don't mean any harm when I say this. Just take this in love. 
we have been told a lot of things, and I, maybe I just shouldn't pick on one myth because I just it just came to my mind because the one that I was really familiar with, women shouldn't wear pants, was a myth. You know, if you wear pants, Deuteronomy twenty-two and five, don't let a man wear anything that pertains to a woman's garment, and so on. And so they use that verse to say a woman shouldn't wear anything that looks like a man's garment. Now, if you've ever seen the clothes in Jesus' day, they all looked alike, by the way, to me, like long skirts, you know, to me. Okay. But the, the, that verse has nothing to do with pants, by the way. Nothing to do with that at all. It was uh, basically talking about idol worship, that they would dress up and, 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 and pretend to be... Um, They'd be worshiping an idol, and it was the whole sexual thing involved in that, and that what had nothing to do with that. Deuteronomy 22 and 5, look it up yourself, has nothing to do with that. So I would talk to pastors and I'd say, well, you know that verse has nothing to do with that. And they would say, yeah, but the, you know, you got to break it to people slow. This is my point. You can't, you can't, it's almost like we couldn't tell you that all of that wasn't true because somehow we would be giving you too much information right away. You choke on it. I'm thinking, it's not true. It's a myth. I mean, we act as if modest apparel means you look as plain as you can. I believe that God made makeup because he loved people. He wanted people to look their best. I believe that God gave us all these things to help us look good. I'm not saying you have to go out and be what I would define. Well, let me say it this way. I don't know that I get to define what's extreme for you all the time. Church people think they know what's extreme for everybody. But I don't want to get on, get sidetracked on this whole issue, and you get mad with me. I'm just making a point. But some people really would get mad with me, like, ah, oh, just, you know. Anyway, so that's the whole. We're not going to go down that road. Here's my big point. The point is, it's not biblically true. It's a myth. And somehow, what we do is we tell people things, and they believe it for years, and so they live in restrictions that God never in the Bible told them they had to live in. Now, if you want to do that, nothing wrong with it. Some people, it's fine. Hey, look, it's up to you. My point is when you teach it as though it was true, you teach, Jesus said it this way, you teach for traditions, the commandments of men. It's not, you teach for traditions of men. It's not God's way. It's a way we decide. I can decide to wear purple every day. It's okay. God doesn't care. It's, it's up to me to decide what I want to wear. He gave me a life to choose. He told Adam and Eve, you name the animals. You name them. You name the animals. It's not for me to name the animals for you. What we want to do is tell people what to name everything. We want to tell them, turn left, turn right, come now, stay this long. Every, we want to control everything. And, I, and, I, and that's not what this is about. That's not what a father does. A father empowers his or her children to help them go out, the parents do, to go out and be strong and independent in the world. It's not about controlling people. It's about empowering and training people. And, and sometimes we teach myths to control people. Let me say that again. We teach myths to control people, to, to make them conform to our personal preference. And I've learned in growing a church that that's one of the ways to keep your church very small, very, very small, because you want everybody to conform to what you want, the songs you like, the music you like, the tone, the length of time you like. It's all about what you like. And then you blame God and say, well, God told me. Nah, stop all that. It's not always God, it's you. Sometimes it's just your preference. And if you can pause for a minute and say, you know, because I have to deal with that as a pastor. Okay, temple is your preference here, okay? Let's not make this God. Let's not make this God. You can do this another way. Let me get to the second myth. 
Some, and this is interesting, why this guy stayed. Number one, he stayed because someone told him. Number two, because he found support in a group of people around him that believed the same way. In other words, sometimes you do things for a long time because you have support. He was surrounded by lame and hurt and, and broke up people. If you're around people who are a certain way, they'll support you in it. They'll give, you, they'll give you enough support where you'll continue. They, there's a term for it in business. They call it group think. You know, the group thinks a certain way. And this is how we, we function. We have an answer for everything. And we use our verses and our favorite lines of scripture. And this is how we define everything. Group think. Watch that. Look it up. It's an interesting study. Thirdly, he was enabled by the people who created him, who carried him. I'm sorry, carried him. You know, you, you, somebody had to carry him for 38 years because he couldn't get there on his own. Who, who is enabling you to be irresponsible, enabling you to be a person who is mean, enabling you? Sometimes you're enabled, and that's what hinders you. Fourthly, he had no date set to reconsider his position. In other words, he started down this, this road, and he never said, well, I'm going to do this for five years and stop, or I'm going to do this in three years and stop, I'm going to do this. He never, ever, ever, ever set a date. Set a date. If you're trying something and it's not working, set a date. Don't just keep going. You're losing money. Your business is not paying you. You're drowning in debt. Set a date. I'm going to give this six months, a year. I'm going to set a date. I don't care if it's two years, but set a date. You, you've got to move on. I told God, now you may not believe this, but when I came to overcome by faith, they had 45 people. I told God, I said, listen, I'll give this a year. And I meant that. I may give it two, but I'm not going to stay here and just die and have my kids and family struggle. I'm not doing that. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. What if God told you? Stop all that. Be fruitful and multiply. That's what God told me to do. If I'm not fruitful in something, something's wrong. If I'm sitting here struggling every day, something is wrong. If I can't eat, something is wrong. This is not God's will for me. It's not. If I'm not fruitful, I need to go to somebody who is fruitful and ask them, are you hanging around lame people who have nothing and you are sitting there for four years allowing yourself to be there. Now, what could this guy do? Well, uh, something. Here's a question. I hear you. You're thinking, right? Well, Jesus found him by the pool. What if he had left the pool? He would not have got healed. Who told you that? How you make that up? Jesus could find him anywhere. If God wants to get something to you, he can get something to you. The point is, if, if God's going to bless me on January 4th, 2022, if that's God's plan, and I'm going to have to wait until that date, he has all kinds of ways to bless me up until that date. I don't have to make my life harder. For, for 38 years, he waited in the wrong place. And so can you. I believe God would have healed him anyway. I believe God would have blessed him anyway. See, God had a plan of blessing for him. But the question is, will you suffer all the way to that place? This is something that I want you to think about. Are you making investments in the wrong places? Are you in a place that maybe you didn't have to be, but you're there, you're there, and you just think you have to be there? I believe God delivered him. I believe God can find you. Sometimes we suffer things we don't have to suffer. There's an old song that says that we, we carry burdens that God never intended for us to carry. 
Let me close with seven myths that I, I had to face in my life, seven things that were true in me in my life. And I like to always share these because I want to be honest. I haven't made the right decisions all my life. I made some bad investments. I'm going to give you seven examples. Number one, I had what I call prosperity myths. I believe for many years that prosperity, my prosperity was determined by God alone. That was a myth. Galatians 6 and 7 says, I reap what I sow. I'm involved in this process. I grew to know I play a part. It's not just God. It's a myth. Your prosperity is not just linked to what God wants, because sometimes the issue is not God, it's us. Second myth, I believe. I had a giving myth, a giving myth. I believe for many years that my greatest calling was to give and not receive. But I learned that I needed to save. Proverbs chapter 6, the ant. It's a great chapter to read it on your own, Proverbs 6. There's something about being willing to say, I need to not just be a giver, I need to be a saver. Churches teach you to give. They do not teach you to save. That is one of our flaws. We have to do a better job of teaching our people to be entrepreneurial, to, be, to have something, to have something. You got to have something. I can't give you anything if I don't have anything. If I have a church full of broke members, that's going to be equal to a broke church, which equals a broke community. I can't help anybody. And, and this whole idea of every time I see you, my biggest goal is to get to the offering and spend hours trying to twist your arm and get you to give. It's just manipulation. It's not God's will. I believe that people should give. I'm a big tither. I believe in tithing and honoring God. But there's something about being really honest about giving myths. This is your moment right now. Bring me $100 and God is going to bless you. This is your moment. Pastor Rick, do you give? I give. Sometimes I'm in settings. I've been in settings like that and I give $100. You know, it's okay. I don't have any. I know, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to make the budget. I know that, I know, see, so I accept that. I look, I look over it sometime and just help them because I know they're trying to meet the budget. But I think it's a bad culture. And so it, we, we're teaching people to give and not have resources, and I, I just think that's unhealthy. Number three, a church myth. I believed in a church myth. I believed for many years that there was no, there was one main way to do church. Just one way. Acts chapter 10 taught me that's not true. Cornelius taught Peter that there are other ways to do this. It's not just with the Jews. It's with the Gentiles. It's not just one. It's not just on the Sabbath. It's on the it's on the first day of the week. They move from celebrating the Sabbath on the seventh day. In the New Testament, you saw them in Romans, the last chapter. He talked about when you meet on the first day of the week. They, they started meeting on Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. All of you Sabbath keepers, please be okay with me. I'm not saying it's wrong. I love the Sabbath. Yay for the Sabbath. Nothing wrong with the Sabbath day. Keep doing it. I'm just saying the bottom line is, I thought there was only one way to do it, okay? Number four, a building myth. You'll find this fascinating because, you know, preachers love buildings now. We're always building something. We like buildings. What are you doing? I'm building something. Building, building. We're adding on. We're growing like wheat, 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 like wheat. We're growing leaps and bounds. There's what I want to say. We're growing, and so building myth. I believe for many years that we could not grow without, without more meeting places. <laughs> There's a verse in, in Acts 7, verse 48 through 49, that's really strong. He says, you know, I don't dwell in buildings made by hands. This idea that God is only going to meet us in a building. And so during a season when you couldn't be in the building, you, get, you start losing your faith and you're trying to hurry up and get back in the building even before you should. And you're not, if you're not careful, you'll get back in the building and not be wise and create crisis for yourself, which I don't need to describe. Lord, help us be wise 
buildings are great. I've got buildings. I'm, I plan to have more. I'm not against buildings. I just don't want to have a bunch of debt. That's another sermon. But I do believe there's something powerful about not just believing building myths. Build it and they will come. I know a lot of guys who built it and they didn't come and they were in debt and drowned in debt because they thought the building was the answer. The building is not the answer. We are the answer. Jesus Christ came into our lives to touch the world and we are the, we are the house of God, the temple of God. We are the building that goes into the world. But sometimes we get so focused on this stuff. This stuff is necessary. Okay, there's a value in this. I, I think you should build assets. I think you should build millions. I think all that's true, but you should not get confused about what a building can do for you. That is a myth. A building is a responsibility that most people are not prepared to manage. They just want to look at it and go, wow. But once you say, wow, you got to pay the mortgage, pay the light, pay the phone. And for a business like this, it's millions of dollars. It's a lot of money. And some people are not prepared for that. Just a thought. Number five, a schedule myth, I believe. I believe the busier we were, the more successful we could become. <laughs> Man, let me say, I can't tell you how many times I've been running like, running like a bug. I can't tell you. My schedule was incredible. We were running at one point 24 services to 30 services a month. I mean, before COVID, we were running 12. I mean, it's so easy to just be busy going and that, I mean, just tons of stuff. And I'm not against busy. Me and Mr. Busy are good friends, okay? We have a good relationship. I'm very good at managing my time. I'm really focused. I, I, I think I have a great staff. We are good at management. But schedules can, be, can, be, can, can lead you to places where you start thinking that because you're busy, you're successful and you're not. You're exhausted. You're tired, your staff's tired, everybody's tired, volunteers are tired, people are tired, they're tired. And if you're not careful, you, you, you'll be in trouble. I learned that running around is not a true sign of success. Ecclesiastes 9-11. Don't just run around. Ecclesiastes 9-11. You don't need to just run around all the time and just be busy and be exhausted. That's not necessarily God's will. I, I think that's an incredible. Let me read the verse for you. Here's what he said. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. He said, I realized another thing, that in this world, Fast runners do not always win the races and and brave do not always win the battles. The wise do not always earn a living. Intelligent people do not always get rich and capable people do not always rise to high positions. Bad luck happens to everyone. You never know when your time is coming like birds suddenly caught in a trap, like a fish caught in a net. We are trapped by at some evil moment when we least expect it. I realize that, that, that he says that the, the, the world, the world, that this world's fastest runners do not always win. That's the point. The fastest runners, the busiest people, the most, the guys with all the speeches and they give you all the one liners, they're not going to always get there. And I, I had to learn that being busy, running, being tied up in a busy schedule is not the answer. I want you to hear that statement again. I'm going to say it one more time. I realized, he said, first, first, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. I realized, I realized, he said, that in this world, fast runners do not always win the race. The race is not always given to the swift. That's the King James Version. It's not always those who can run fast. And some of you, are just your, your schedule is just evil. It's just evil. It, it, it's, it, you never rest, and you do this in the name of God, and you, you, you somehow don't see the long-term damage. Let me keep going. Number six. I have relationship myths. I believe for many years that if we were both, if we both served God, my wife and I, right, that it should work out. I learned that's not true. 
Just because we both serve God, that's not true. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 12. Uh, I learned that believers can stop believing and depart from a relationship. 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 16 describes this break in a relationship moment. If an unbeliever decides to depart, it says. So basically what he's saying is people come to a point where they no longer believe. And you can both start out believing, but a person can decide. And some of you, you're carrying a burden you shouldn't because a person you were in a relationship with stopped believing. They stopped believing in being faithful. They stopped believing in honoring God. They stopped believing in, in you. They stopped believing in an institution of marriage. And now they're gone and you're feeling guilty about it, but you couldn't make them believe. That, that being faithful in a marriage is good or that being respectful in a marriage or not being violent was good. You couldn't make them believe, so they departed. You have to understand, people can make a decision like that. Sometimes relationships break up not because you did anything. You just believe the relationship myth. And so now you're learning that that wasn't true. And the last one, a time myth. I believe for many years that I will <laughs> have all the time I need. That's not true. You run out of time. First John, I'm sorry, James chapter four, verse 14 says this. I learned that, that life's a vapor. It just kind of passed away. I learned that time is much shorter than you could ever imagine when you're young. It's like a vapor. It just can be gone and you, have, you don't have any more time. So here's the question for you. Would you say, I got my own list, Pastor, of investments, bad investments I've made. And some of those investments were dangerous investments. And next week, I'm going to talk about that. I want to talk about dangerous investments you can make that can harm you. I want to talk about how things can get out of, out of line. How, what, are your what are you investing in right now that can improve your life? And are you investing in things that are dangerous? If you are, next week, we'll talk about that. You don't want to miss it. You got a lot to say. We're going to be focusing on our youth and young people coming up down the road here soon next week. Join us. I've got a lot to say. Young people, I want to tell you something. You can make decisions at certain ages in your life when you're a teenager that can change your life forever. High school, college age, you can do things in those years that you'll regret till, you're, till you die. Dangerous investment. Some of you people know that's true. Some of you right now watching me say, yeah, I did that in high school. I did that in college. age. I did that between the ages of 15 and 22. I did things at 25 that changed my life forever, changed my view of myself. Join me next week. I got more to say. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for those who watched today. May this be a time for them of healing, a time of grace. Thank you for the opportunity to share your word. I pray that what we've talked about will help them make better investments in their future. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I pray you were lifted by that message, and I hope you now see the danger of believing in things that are not true. Myths can get you in trouble, and especially when you make an investment in a myth. Here's a guy who believed for 38 years, following the crowd for 38 years, going to the same place, doing the same thing for 38 years, listening to people, his friends, all wrong for 38 years. How long have you believed in a myth? Is it time for you to make a change? Let me pray for you. Father, let this be the moment that they say, Jesus, I need to hear something new. I need a fresh word and a fresh insight for a fresh future in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, it's been a joy sharing with you. I've got more to say next time right here on demand. So I'll see you next time. You be blessed, be strong, and please don't believe in myths. Make good investments so you can have a great future. See you next time. Bye-bye.